Hello, lovely listeners. It's Celia again. Thank you for following along and joining me. This is my first unscripted intro. Hope you're proud. I'm also going to wow you with the fact that I am not going to use um and like anymore. I never really have spoken in front of people or, well, I have at sales meetings, but I haven't, I definitely haven't heard myself recorded. So that was a painful awakening <laughs> hearing all the likes and um. So I appreciate you guys bearing with me. Today I want to talk about it being Domestic Violence Awareness Month, the month of October. It is October, I believe, 5th today. Actually, it's the 6th of 2022. And I am today 37 years old, but there was a time in my life where I was just a child and I was struggling with self-hatred. I didn't, I was not who I am today. Let's just put it at that. Now I'm strong. I know I'm resilient. I'm headstrong above all. But at this time when I was 17, I'm going to share a passage from my first book, Celia's Eyes. And kind of, I put it into words there. And I would like to use those same words, since they're mine, (laughs) to tell you what it felt like. The name of the chapter was, This is Where the Healing Begins. At the top, I have the lyrics, Don't be afraid to be weak. Don't be too proud to be strong. Just look into your heart, my friend. That will be the turn to yourself, the return to innocence. And that's some lyrics by Enigma, Return to Innocence. So I said, while hoping and hanging on by thread, I never would have dreamed of the life I live today. My life is the way it was before all the darkness came upon me as a child, but even better. I can recall as a child feeling this beauty, the beauty of innocence. I had no earthly idea what I could be. There was no way I could realize my true potential when I was dying inside. The light at the tunnel was too far away. In fact, I couldn't even see my tunnel. I had only heard that there was one. I didn't have any visible proof, no success story to relate to. I had nothing. I didn't even have myself. I only had hope that there was something greater than me to get me through, something greater than myself to revive me back to life. My mind could barely even recall the past feelings of freedom in Christ that I felt as a child. The loud and clear voice of Satan's lies telling me that I had done too much and was too far gone for repair, that I was a lost cause and worthless were all I could hear after turning my back on the Lord. My actions during this time reflected my core beliefs about myself. The beliefs came first, the actions followed. I wanted to be free from the things that I didn't want to do. I wanted to be free from the things that I was desperately drawn to that were going to kill me if I didn't stop. I was a train wreck waiting to happen, and that wreck happened all right in the form of eight car accidents in less than a three-year span. When I wasn't filling the void with drugs and codependent relationships, the emptiness I felt inside was unbearable. It was more than just a feeling inside that left me feeling ugly or unimportant. I was left with a feeling that I was nothing at all. The only feelings that made me feel alive were the things that I was drawn to that made me feel disgusting, mistreated, and abused on every level. But at least then you feel alive, right? So, that is what I was feeling um, inside. It happened even before I started doing drugs. It was, you know, we're not going to go into all the childhood trauma now, but I definitely think I might have been, I, well, I had undiagnosed depression and I didn't go to counseling when I should have as a child. So, I think that 
as we peel back the layers, we'll get into all that. But I definitely think that that set the stage for you running with the wrong crowd. Um, there was also a very unstable home life. So whenever I met my boyfriend at 17, he was four years older. All the girls liked him. He ended up dating me. That became my home, my sense of security. I just remember when I was held by him, it felt like I was pieced together. Like I was, it was like the home that I had been seeking. Anybody that's had a rough childhood, separated from their parents or dad or felt abandoned, felt like an orphan, anybody that can relate to those feelings understands what love in a relationship feels like. And that's why I believe people become codependent is because they were a fractured being. They were not a whole person and they got together with another person that wasn't whole. So it's just natural to kind of glue together and just feed off of each other's inability to be by themselves. So it was a very codependent relationship early on, every day together, all, all the time that I could spend with him, I spent with him, even at 17. And then there was a night that I was serving at the Cracker Barrel, and he came to see me. And these gentlemen were speaking about me at, near his table, and they was, were talking about me being attractive, and then said something to the effect of, the server said, yeah, she's pretty, but she's dingy. And the boyfriend at the time, he caused a scene. And I remember coming out, and that guy was my friend, the guy that called me Dingy. The time my nickname was Silly Celia, I was stoned all the time, and if I'm funny now, I was just ridiculous then, so I didn't take offense to it. It would be different now. Now I want to be taken seriously, but back then, I was just a different person. So rather than side with him, I kind of sided with my friend that was, you know, yeah, she's pretty, but she's Dingy, because, you know, I know he didn't mean it. He was a good, straight-laced little Christian boy. Like, he was not being mean at all. It was just the funny thing to say. He probably didn't even know that I'd been, that I was stoned at work. (laughs) He was that sheltered and, like, nice and innocent. So, I still, to this day, take up for this guy. (laughs) But he was enraged about that, made a big scene, which embarrassed me. And then whenever I went to his house after I got off work, I wasn't seeing his side of things. I can be easily frustrate I can easily frustrate others (laughs) my husband's never laid a finger on me but like I can push people to their limits I know that about myself so not that I ever deserved any abuse but I remember he pushed me down and that was in my I knew like I remember the moment that it was not okay it wasn't right you know he had been very verbally abusive And I looked to him as my mirror at that time. Whatever he said about me, I eventually became. I wasn't promiscuous. I wasn't anything at that time. And he was calling a girl that, you know, I don't even want to say the word. But he was calling me names that were not true. But it's crazy because it's like he was my parent almost. It's kind of like your parents are supposed to, like, feed into you. You're a winner. You're special. You're, you know, tells you what you're supposed to believe about yourself. Well, I wasn't receiving that. So basically everything I got from him, the bad and the good, you know, it kind of shaped me. So pushed me down. I knew it was wrong. I left. 
but I quickly went back to him. And what that does, whenever your inner knowing God, your spirit tells you that something is not okay, it's wrong, and you ignore it, and you continue down that path and go against what is true for yourself, it's it's just, it's not good for you. You lose faith in yourself. I know that that was part of my demise is just not being able to hold myself up. I couldn't stand on my own two feet emotionally. I could have a job. I could work. I was a good hard worker, but emotionally I was, I was very empty. So leaving that relationship was not going to happen. I remember just, it made me feel whole and I didn't feel whole without it. And to be honest, that is something I still struggled with even whenever I met my husband. You know, we met four years ago, I think four years ago. It was 2018. So it was almost five years ago, January 7th of 2018. And even then, I was having to read books by, I remember I was reading A Return to Love by Marianne Williamson, and I had been going through a breakup, so I wasn't in the best place anyway, but I've never, I've always struggled with standing on my own two feet, not literally, but just emotionally. And even when I first started this podcast episode, I was thinking, maybe it went so well with my husband last week, maybe I can just have him on here. Like, basically, hold my hand through this. And, of course, he's he'll do whatever I need. And he's not enabling me. He just, he just loves me. So, he's, whatever it is, if I need him to do that, he'll do that. But I know that that's not, this is my journey. He's on it. But I know this is something that I need to explore on my own. I'll definitely have him back. But... I don't need to have him on here for the wrong reasons. And at this time, if I had him on, it would just be to make this process easier. And I know I'm going to grow through it. I'm already omitting like and ums. Yay. <laughs> so, I told you about 17. How I left that relationship, if you're curious. I traded one drug for another. Relationships can be a drug. I was, I guess, addicted to love or that feeling of love. I was codependent. I traded the drug of him for my love of cocaine. I tried it for the first time when I was 17. I knew I needed to stay away from it because I enjoyed it too much. It was the best feeling in the world. Of course, you're always chasing that high because it's never the same after that. It's never as good as the first or two times. And it always takes way more to fulfill that, to even get to even remotely as high of a place. So, we had, you know, he'd been abusive. I knew, like, hey, this is not right for me. So, I finally was just rebelling against him. He never wanted me to touch it again, and he was never touching his drugs again. But then, I couldn't take it. I couldn't take the verbal abuse, and I was just like, I'm out. It was my 18th birthday, and I bought grandma cocaine, and I did it by myself. I didn't do it with anybody else. I did it by myself. And then, that's put me on a path of continually doing it by myself and it got really bad. It got to be tons, 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 tons. On the cover of my book, I do have the four lines of fake cocaine. And the reason why it wasn't to be crazy or bold 
which I know I'm both of those things, <laughs> but it was because my heart was, I'm not trying to write this to impress anyone. I'm trying to write this to reach the people that need it. And they're not going to believe me, these people that I can help, that I'm going to understand what they've been through and how they felt about themselves if I'm sitting on the cover looking pretty. So I'm going to show them by being bold and putting those lines of fake cocaine on the cover, baby powder, that I understand. I was there. However, even though my book was Christian, it wasn't even allowed to be in Christian bookstores because of that. So I'm a businesswoman now. I'm really good at it. And I know what I need to do if I want to help people. And it is to write something and promote something that's marketable. And helping other people will come. I know it. And there's a place for the book. I know that. So, letting that sit there. So, drug addiction was really bad. Asked God for help. Started going to church. And traded one drug for another. But it was the good kind. It was the acceptable kind. It was... Some people call it a crutch. All I know is I held on to that community and church and that faith in something bigger than myself to get me through. I held on to it with everything I had. And I did really well for about three months. And I'm, when I say really well, I mean, I never, I never went to a rehab. I never did anything like that. I didn't even start going to counseling until years later. I never saw a counselor until years later. So I got off drugs with myself. My husband says, you're the strongest person I know. Well, whenever you're in that position, you can't, you don't trust yourself, let alone do you think, hey, I can rely on myself to get me through. No, you have to believe in a stronger power. I don't, like there's no other choice. You've shown to yourself you're not to be trusted. Like you're not okay. You need to, you need somebody, you need something big to get you out of this. So that was how I was coping and handling and staying clean and on the up. However, I was working in a cafe that served alcohol. It was a sports bar. It was called, what was it called? T-Bones. And I was the daytime bartender. And then one day in the middle of my three months of I'm, going to be secondary virgin or whatever they called it back then. I forget. I think that's what it was called. I was, you know, not going to have sex until I was married. I was doing all the rules, going by all the rules, denying the nature that I had shown to myself. Like just, I'm just, I changed my cell phone number. I'm reading the books. I'm reading the Bible. I did a complete 180 and in walks this guy who has gone through a lot himself and it's somebody that sees me and somebody that I see. And we trauma bonded really quickly. And it just so happened that he was fine with marrying me in order to, you know, consummate our marriage or whatever. So after three weeks, I I got, he married me. So um, that's, that happened. And he was, he had severe alcohol issues. He was abused when he was a child, sexually abused. He was, he had a rough childhood. I understood him. I say 
I say it in these words in my book, the same thing that did it to him did it to me. There was a darkness that robbed his childhood, and there was a darkness that robbed mine. We were both two people that felt misunderstood, that underneath it all, there was a good heart underneath both of us. I just have always been special in the sense that I've had a want for more. I don't see that in everyone. I see that in a lot of people. And the people I'm going to be able to help are going to be the people that are living their life and they're not happy with it. They could see better for their life. They're, they feel stuck and they don't think they can get out of it, but they want to get out of it because not everybody wants to get out of it. Not everybody wants to live extraordinary lives. Some people are okay with just mediocre. And I'm sorry, but if you're getting wasted every day or if you're in a marriage where somebody is belittling you and being verbally abusive, that is, it may be normal. It may be more common than not, but it's not the life that I've ever wanted for myself. So even when I was in those relationships and even when I was, even recently, you know, my husband and I was talking about my drinking, even whenever I was living like that with the drinking, I never felt good about it. So we got together three weeks. We were married. The abuse started happening. I was told it'll only get worse. Sure enough, there was a night where I nearly died. And I don't say that with exaggeration. He, when he would drink, a different entity would take over. I truly believe, I don't, know what you want to call it. You can call it a demon. You can call it a dark spirit. You can call it, all I know is there, I'm a very spiritual person and I know there's darkness in this world. And that is what took over him that night. And nothing was going to stop him. Whenever I was bleeding from the head and the face, he made me get in the shower and told me to clean off. I was like disgusting. Go clean myself. And he wasn't calming down. He kept on coming in the shower and slapping me. I didn't know what was going to happen next. And something inside me as I'm staring at the drain just, this is it. My life is over. Something told me, go now. And it wasn't a voice. It was just a knowing. It was, go now. Now. I left the shower running. I got out. Closed the shower. Well, actually, yes, I closed the shower um, curtain. And tiptoed out, saw he was on the balcony, messing with his phone. And I tiptoed out and waited in this area that he wouldn't be able to see me, but I could see him for whenever he went to get back in the bathroom. And as soon as he opened the bathroom door and stepped foot into the bathroom, which he couldn't realize I wasn't in the shower anymore, I ran out. I only had a towel on. This little boy saw me, and he chased after me, but he could only go so far because he was on house arrest. Luckily. So, I stayed away from him for four days after that. My dad, crying on the phone, begged me not to go back to him. And I said I wouldn't. And then I did go back. And I didn't talk to my dad for the two or three weeks that I had gone back. And I wish I could sit here and say that I was one of those that found the strength to leave. But I wonder 
And I know how rare it is that they exist. I wasn't that person. I didn't find the strength to leave. It wasn't me. What had happened is, I told you he was on house arrest. He was on 1029 probation. It was a day before his 1029 probation ended. And I called the cops that night. Had it been a day later or two days later, he wouldn't have violated his probation. It wasn't that I found the strength to leave. What it was is we were forced to separate. He had to go to jail. (laughs) And even though I did go and visit him a couple of times, and even after Graham and Sharon had me, took me in, they're my cousins, they're like my aunt and uncle, they said, look, we'll take over your debts, which $2,000 at that time was like ridiculous money to me. And they got me out of a hole. They were like, we'll get you a job. We'll take over your car payment until you can pay for it yourself. I had a $400 Audi a month. You know, all these things I couldn't afford. They took me, took me, and like I was destitute-ish when I came to them. I'd been high that day. I mean, I'd just been beaten and abused and gone to a hospital where the women are telling me, or the woman's telling me in my small town, well, why'd you go back to him? Not with like, honey, why did you go back to him? It was like, well, why did you go back to him? That's who, that's how I felt when I went to Graham and Sharon. But they took, they took care of me. But they said under the one condition, you divorce him and cut contact. And I said, okay. So I wrote him while I lived with Graham and Sharon But on the day I was supposed to go see him, I remember it was Easter, and I was going to find a way to see them because we were going to different churches, me and Graham and Sharon were. There was a way I found to where I could sneak away and see him without them knowing. And I told him I would be there. But when it came time, it had now been a few months that we'd separated or been pulled apart. When it came time for me to go see him that morning, it didn't fit in my life anymore. I couldn't do it. And I felt horrible. I felt so bad and so guilty for not going. And I mean, I might even still have his letters from jail. I know at some point, I think I threw away old boyfriend's letters because I would, you know, y'all heard my triggers. I'd murder Dane (laughs) if he kept his. So I'm pretty sure they're thrown away. But for the longest time, I'd kept them. And I felt horrible. I've... I felt, I felt like it wasn't something I was supposed to do. I wasn't supposed to leave him. I wasn't supposed to abandon him, and I did. Anybody else will tell you, like, logically that's not love somebody that's been abusive. They will not look at this the same way. But if you've ever been in love with somebody that is wrong for you, that mistreats you, they have their moments where they are who you need them to be. First of all, they meet your needs. If you had a terrible childhood, like you're finding home. You're finding somebody that loves you. You're loveless and you're finding love. And that's why some women stay with them until they are till they die. Like till they literally are murdered. So I understand why women stay with men like that. I just I want to meet the women that have left because those are my heroes because I wasn't that girl. You know, my husband says Oh, you would have left. And I said, no, 
you know me now and even my flaws and all, I am nowhere near who I was then. There is no way I would have found the strength to leave. Jesus, God, nothing could have come through to me to have me leave him. But in a way it did. It was a miracle. The timing of it was miraculous. And that's why I've known I've had a calling for a long time is because of all these ways that it's like I can't even like hurt myself. I'm so self-sabotaging. I've been so self-sabotaging. I've done everything I could to ruin my life to just, but to now be here where I, where I stand today. I struggled a lot probably the past two years with, I don't know if it's called bragging because people that have known me for over a decade, I think they saw what it was to people that didn't know me. They'd probably think she's so full of herself, but I've just been so proud of myself and my husband, he doesn't do anything on social media. He's never once said, Celia, you're being too much. It's like he understands. I said like, whoops. <laughs> now, if I start talking about money, he's quick to say that's inappropriate. Some people would disagree. I've read books by people that says we should not be ashamed of money, talking about money, any of that. We should be proud to discuss money. But I know it's a trigger for some people. So I understand where my husband's coming from from that. My point to say that is that he will be quick to tell me if I'm doing something out of line that he feels. <laughs> so all that, I believe, all the achieving, all the pageants, the triathlons, the telling people about it, I think has been a way to kind of rewrite my story and to just show I'm I'm still trying to show that I'm not that weak person. I'm not that person that allows people to mistreat them. You know, even after I left that relationship, I mean, it took a long time, but I was celibate for off and on, let's just say 10 years. I feel like it was seven years straight, but my husband you know, he knows my whole story. We've gotten into it. He begs, he thinks differently. But all I'm trying to say is that I've spent a lot of time alone. Not just alone, but very alone and just trying to force myself to grow my alone muscle is kind of what I called it years ago. Going to movies by myself. Going to eat by myself. When I went to the movies for the first time by myself, I was dying on the inside Every thought came to my head. What are they thinking about me? Do they think I'm weird? Do they think I don't have friends? Everything you think of. But after the first time, I kept on going by myself because I would want to see a movie and it was only five minutes from my apartment and nobody else wanted to see it. So I would just go to the movies and watch it by myself. It's not a big deal. Like the first time you're scared and then you're not scared anymore. I think that should wrap up our episode today. I wanted to touch on get into the abuse it's obvious that it happened because of how I felt about myself. How I felt about myself happened because of a deeper wound. All of the issues I have with Dane that we talked about last week, I discovered after we talked about it. 
it was an abandonment wound. That's what it was. And it wasn't, it wasn't even over PTSD, it wasn't PTSD or anything from the abuse. It was, it all of it stemmed from, I think the very core, very first trauma that I can remember that I can at least help people through <laughs> is that abandonment wound. It's pretty traumatic. If you've ever, if your dad's ever moved states away or your mom left you or your you're going to heal, you're going to, you're going to find a way to cope. Everything on the outside can look perfect. I'm talking, it can be perfection, but until you address that wound and you heal it, it's going to keep showing up in your life. And that's why I'd gotten everything put together on the outside, career, all of it. And when I was with Dane, it was like, I was just this crazy person but I wasn't crazy. What I felt was real. Whenever I treat him like the world's going to end over something, it's because no, my world has ended before. The rug has been torn out from underneath me before. I've had all that chaos. So what I feel is valid. And that's why when I posted it on Instagram, posted that song, Oh, she's sweet, but she's psycho. She's left, but she's right though. You know, a lot of the things that were triggers, yes, I went about it in a crazier kind of way when we had our phone call, but even then, I was, I was right. It's like things that bothered me, he would never do now. The things that it just was, the, where it was bad is how overwhelming it felt and then how the other things that he'd be innocent on that (laughs) and then because of the other stuff you know I was sensitive to the women he worked with because he had a boss that was completely inappropriate and he couldn't disengage I had to talk about with my therapist she said well he says boss how's he going to disengage or make her act a certain way whenever they were friends before you and now she's his boss but the moment she was fired he was released and he was able to then behave how he wanted to and how I needed him to. And just so you know, it was actually the same day that we got married. So even though God's been in and out of my life, spirituality has been in and out. It's like, I still see it because at that point in our relationship, that was a miracle because that was going to be the death of me with my triggers. Another woman that is emotionally feeding off of your husband and, relies on him. Don't get me started. We might have to do a podcast about that. After all, this is my podcast. (laughs) My husband says now, you know, I'm so sorry knowing you deeper than I do now. I'm like, you do understand how traumatic that season was for me now. He was like, I do. He says, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't know. But now, yes, after knowing you fully, I can see how that was driving you insane. Anyway, fun times. I'll talk to you guys soon. I really appreciate you listening. Again, any feedback you can give me so I know what you want me to talk about. I have a ton of material. So much material. Today, we talked about domestic violence. We talked about abuse. We talked about why we stay in it. And like I said, please show me the women that have pulled their way out of it. Or let me hear more miracle stories because, like I said, I didn't pull myself out of it. I was pulled out of it. 
Anyway, until next time, friends. Bye.